Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Joe, we are live. Holy smokes, it's already August 1st. Sean Ross Sapp, lots to talk about in the world of mixed martial arts, the UFC 214 fallout, because there's a bunch of stories I would like to dissect with yourself and the uh, listenership. Obviously, John Jones, Brock Lesnar, and so much more. Tyron Woodley wants an apology. We're talking about potentially blackmailing Dana White. Oh boy, we'll get into that momentarily. And of course, UFC Mexico City preview. Uh, and I had a chance to catch up with Sean Pearson, who we will hopefully hear from a little bit later on in the show to get his thoughts. A more tamed Sean Pearson, for those uh, that are wondering. Uh, he was uh, looking pretty good, uh, but he was in a work environment. He wasn't at his humble abode where he could drop F-bombs while the kids are upstairs sleeping. Uh, but yeah, Sean, uh, Sean gave us his thoughts on a variety of things. But uh, you're back home. You're okay. The last time we spoke was on Saturday after UFC 214, the crazy, crazy event, how it all went down. Uh, have you settled in? You and the missus settled in? Yeah, uh, it was a great trip. I did a 20-something minute video blog on it, which was a lot of fun. That was a lot of work as well. I, I'll i say this. I put in, let's see, as soon as I got home Saturday, it was working from 6, right around the time the pay-per-view started, until about 3.30 in the morning. Then the next day, I gave Alex the day off because I was like, you know, he's, he fill in for me for half a week. So that was a 16-hour day from the time I woke up to the time I sleep slept. The only time I took breaks was to eat. And then yesterday was another full day from wake until uh, 2, 2.30 in the morning after Raw. So I've almost put in full-time hours in the two and a half days I've been back. So... Man, I'm being on a podcast with you right now is a break. Well, there you go. On behalf of everyone that lives in the 416, the 6 Toronto, uh, you posted something on your Instagram. Make sure you follow him, guys and girls, at Sean Ross Uh Something about Toronto being the greatest city or the perfect city or something of that nature. We thank you. Thank you very, very much. People don't realize it. And now behind you, if people can't see it, above Sean's head, he's got a license plate that says Toronto. Uh, it happens a lot when when... 
people travel to the city, uh, they definitely fall in love. They fall in love with the city. They don't realize that it's no different than any big American city that's out there, whether it's L.A., whether it's Chicago, whether it's New York. Uh, The only difference is just a bit of structure and weather, perhaps. But other than that, uh, Toronto is considered a big city. So uh, we thank you. We we definitely want you to come back. uh, And you guys will come back and have a good time because there's only so much you can do in the time that you did uh, come by. But... Um, it it was the first of what I hope are many trips because I fell in love with Toronto and I fell in love with the people that work for Jimmy, man, those people, those are awesome people. Jimmy made it clear to me when we were talking in the suite at the Jays game, because we had a conversation, uh, obviously that wasn't my first quote unquote corporate outing. Uh, I've been involved in the corporate world, uh, obviously since I, you know, left teenagehood, um, I'm in my early forties now, uh, and obviously being a part of the, the, the fight world, the amount of network parties and the amount of stuff that UFC and or sponsors back in the day used to put, there was always network stuff going on or corporate stuff going on. And the one thing I learned from Jimmy and his partner were, you know, it, it's, they don't mess around. If they sense any negativity from any of their employees, the relationship isn't going to work. The job yeah. isn't going to work. And every single single person how many people do you think were there 30 40 i'd say closer to 45 50 mate well yeah maybe 40 to 50 every single one of them had a smile on their face there was no attitude there was no ego i didn't see any typical corporate infighting i don't like yeah. her i don't like him everybody was there you know and, and for, for those that don't know and i guess sean uh, and his wife got us got a, a taste of it i tend to mind my own business I can sit alone in a room full of 45 people with my food or my coffee or my drink and not bother anybody because I'm the I, you can call me Captain People Watcher. I will just mind my own business. I'm that guy at the bar that doesn't he just sits at the corner of the bar and hey, watching the TV. I don't bother anybody. Uh, I'm not a social butterfly per se. I let you come and talk to me. Well, I'll talk your off. And I can't even tell you how many people, how many uh, uh, that staff. Uh, of Jimmy's staff would come over and just shoot the breeze with me. It was almost like this rotation, you know, and they're just so friendly, so gregarious. So I had a great time. Even though I mind my own business, I had a wonderful time. I had a great time too. Uh, really looking forward to going back and hanging out with all those people again. Uh, it was really cool. It was a fun time. And uh, I try to stay positive anyway. Really, the only time I'm negative is critiquing a show or dealing with trolls. I, <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a single bad moment there. Like I had fun. Somebody says that's because SRS hasn't gone to LA. Uh, my brother lives in LA, actually, so probably happening sooner than later. Yep, I've been to LA uh, on numerous occasions, obviously to cover. I remember Machida versus uh, Shogun, uh, the infamous five round fight that uh, Cecil People said leg kicks don't hurt, leg kicks shouldn't be judged. Remember that? And Machida <laughs> specifically saying it was that round there that he took off. So, anyways, I've uh, been to LA, been to Anaheim, been to California on numerous occasions. Beautiful. Obviously, the weather is fantastic. Uh, for those that are wondering, if you keep seeing me do this, uh, I finished habit. working. No, it's not. Oh God, no! Uh, I, I finished working out about an hour and a half ago, fully showered, and obviously took a. You know, I had my lunch, but I my body temperature is still through the roof. I've drawn the blinds here. Usually, I'm very hot in the face here because that's what the sun is by the time the show happens. So, my body temperature is up. I'm probably going to be sweating by the end of this podcast, or continue to sweat through the podcast. So, I apologize if you see me doing this, or if I just get up and leave and get a Kleenex, Sean. But uh, lots to discuss. UFC two fourteen. UFC 214 went down. Uh, it was pretty much everything we expected, even that co-main event, which we'll get into uh, briefly in a moment. But John Jones obviously um, has turned a leaf, I guess, or, or, or taking nah. his. You know? <laughs> nah, I don't no, buy I, it. Let me explain. Let me explain. 
it's only on the surface. We know that. We understand that. And John will go back to being John in a second. But were you not pleasantly surprised when he was complimentary of Daniel Cormier after the fight and even still? No. But for, <laughs> for a couple of reasons. This is what he always used to do. And people are like, oh, he's being fake. He's being fake. I get it. And, All right. and now a lot of those same people are like, oh, that was it was great of him. Great. Yeah, it was. Sure. I, but, I mean, this isn't anything new. He used to do this all the time. Do you remember when he was, like, chasing down purse snatchers and shit before oh, title yeah. fights? Yep. I was the one that asked him the question at the post-fight press conference yeah. uh, about that scenario. Yeah, I remember that. And, I mean, I'll never forget that. Like, he was in his, like, form athletics hoodie and chasing down a purse snatcher before while he was meditating or something. Like, whatever he said. John Jones is spectacular. I don't think they're like if you were to say I need one person in the history of time to beat anybody else in a fist fight, who would you pick? John Jones is that person. Like to me, it's him and Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson as greatest of all time. You can throw Silva and GSP in there as well. I just I don't care what he says in and out of the cage. Like he's gotten smarter about it. He's now a thirty year old man as opposed to a 27, 28 year old getting in trouble all the time, but hey, I, I just want to watch him fight. I, I like that he's he's learned how to build up fights. He's got a host of options ahead of him now. I think Volkan Ozdemir stands a much better chance of beating him than Alexander Gustafsson does at this point. But we'll see what happens. But yeah, I wasn't surprised that he said that. Like he knows he's played this game forever. The only difference is like he knew this was the time to do it. Had Cormier won. I don't think he would have done that. He would have set up that third fight immediately. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I 100% agree with that. I, I just, yeah, you know, John Jones does play that game. He plays that card very, very well, uh, and I get it. I, I personally, I was pleasantly surprised because I sat there and I listened to it, and it was very cordial, uh, and I thought to myself, okay, this is what you should be doing from day one because – but at the same time, people love to watch you. They hate or they love to see you get in trouble and all that stuff there. So I get it. I understand it. I liked it. Uh, maybe because call it the Canadian in me, being politically correct and just being cordial and, and nice and kind to people all the time, no matter what the rivalry may be. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, but th- listen, there are people out there that are that are flat out saying, no, nope, not buying it. No, nope. Oscar nominated sure. performance by John Jones. Totally get it. And listen. We won't know. Time will tell the story of John Jones. If this is a new chapter, Sean, great. If it's the same old, same old John, what are we going to do? We're going to roll our eyes and be like, yeah, well, are you surprised? Yeah. Yeah. What I want to ask you is there's been a lot of people, and it's what I've noticed, mainly almost exclusively those who have never competed, clowning Daniel Cormier for crying in the ring. Do I think he should have cried? No. But – he was knocked out in the cage. I think he should have. I think. I mean, that's normal in my opinion. I believe so. Yeah, but I mean, he was knocked out in the cage. He didn't know what was going on. He was probably scared. Michael Bisping told a story that I had never heard before on his podcast. He said that after the Dan Henderson knockout, he was backstage and he was like, what happened? I, I don't fight. Like, everybody's telling me I lost. I don't fight for two or three months. Did I take a fight last minute? What happened? And everybody was like, you got knocked out, you lost. And he was like, no, I didn't. No, I'm not supposed to fight for two or three months. And he, he said that everybody talked him down. And then when he was in the sh- – like after he got a shower, he asked his manager to come over. And he was like, no, what really – what really happened? 
he still didn't believe it like 30, 40 minutes later. So yeah. uh, who knows how that's going to go. It's mainly people who have never competed in their life that I see that are like, LOL, Daniel Cormier, crybaby, man, you all can go square to hell. Yeah, uh, I'll drive I, that bandwagon. Yeah, shit gets on my nerves. Shit gets on my nerves. I hate to Look, use man. the term, but generally a group of pussies who will never compete, have never competed, don't understand the, the heartbreak of losing in competition. It's not even that, Sean. It's not just the heartbreak of competition. It's life, bro. Heartbreak yeah. of life. Because I know a lot of people that have never competed in any you know massive athletic endeavor in their life. But damn it, they work their asses off hard. They have since, since I've known them since we, we were friends and we were teens. And they busted their ass. And they've gone through hell and back ten times, man. Just, just hard, hard. And then when they finally get that taste of success and we're just sitting down having a coffee or having a drink, they break down. And I'm talking dudes that are 220 pounds, buff, you know, massive, just like like a man's man will come over and help me work in the backyard. And, you know, we're hammering nails and we're cutting wood and we're lifting things up and just bringing slabs of concrete back in the backyard and digging holes and stuff like that. Sit down with the boys or whatever and have a conversation. They break down because, man, I finally made some money for my family. Man, business is finally successful. That's life. Anyone that's gone through hardship and struggle and worked their tail off, when you finally get to somewhere where you need to be – or it turns into an epic failure, that's emotional, man. That's normal. I don't buy into the bullshit that, oh, real men shouldn't cry. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Daniel Cormier worked. This is all he wanted. And I made it clear before the fight, especially after I spoke to him in, in Buffalo. This is all he wanted. This was a game changer for his career. This is what was going to define his legacy. Because a victory over John Jones, his number one nemesis, would have put a staple on Daniel Cormier's career to say, hey, I beat this guy. I beat this guy not just for my own record, for my legacy, but for myself, my heart, my brain, my soul, whatever you want to call it. And he fell up short. He fell short. He fell short. He got kicked in the head. Look, man, he was potentially winning that fight. He was taking it to John Jones. And John Jones showed a lot of heart taking a bit of a beating in the stand-up. Freaking mouth guard went flying out in the first round. John Jones is, has the heart of a champion. Was Daniel Cormier was the first one who ever said that, especially that Vitor Belfort fight, which also took place also, which took place in Toronto, when Belfort snapped his arm. He snapped his arm, and it was a first round from an arm bar, and John kept going. Heart of a champion. Daniel Cormier was the one that said it. This is, man, this is a, not, not going to be an easy guy to beat. And, and for Daniel Cormier, this was the biggest test of his life, the one solidifying moment, the litmus test to say, you know what? I am complete. I've completed my journey in mixed martial arts, and now he hasn't. And he realized it went in there, but probably when he looked up and he saw himself getting knocked out and losing that title, losing the fight, losing to John Jones, the one, the one goal he tried so hard to attain failed. Not, so not only just the one goal he worked so hard to attain and failed, Joe, the Olympics – this guy yeah. worked his ass off for his whole life to make it to the Olympics. Didn't get to do what he wanted to do. Then this guy worked his whole life to become UFC champion. And he did it, but there was always the stigma of John Jones being the real champion. Well, then he worked his whole life to beat John Jones. Then he couldn't do it. Now, keep in mind, this is a guy who's been through a lot. His daughter passed away in a car accident. Like, he's he's seen some shit in his day, and he's... 30, 38 years old, struggling to make light heavyweight. That, that's that's unfortunate. I could, he says he apologized to Big John McCarthy for how he acted. Uh, a lot of respect to John McCarthy for issuing a statement saying 
that guy doesn't have anything to apologize for. He was knocked yep. out. So a lot of respect to Big John for doing that. But um, Daniel Cormier seemed to indicate that he would be back. I like that. I'm happy about that because even though his teammate is probably, unfortunately, next in line for a heavyweight title shot, I you, you could sign me up tomorrow for DC versus Stipe Miocic, and I would buy that pay-per-view 10 out of 10 times. Um, you could sign me up for Daniel Cormier versus anybody in that UFC top 15 because I don't think there's anybody there that he's fought. Like, yep. the, when he fought heavyweight, he was beating the Barnetts and the Bigfoots and Jeff Monson and Frank Mir and Roy Nelson, but they ain't there anymore. So that's fresh matchups for him. If he wants to, he could go up there and fight well, probably for another several years, Joe, depending on how his power translates and how his jaw translates. Now, the fight itself with, with Jones, like, I had it one round apiece. And, but the thing is, Cormier's punches weren't necessarily hurting Jones. He was punching up a lot, but he had to. Jones looked bigger than ever. So I think that the tides were turning, and I think Jones was going to win that. But from what we saw, Cormier performed pretty well, which led to a certain situation afterwards. And it's a guy who thinks a lot of you, but I'm about to tear him to shreds, Joe. Anthony Rumble Johnson <laughs> saying that he would consider a return to fight John Jones. And to that I say, huh? huh? <laughs> oh, boy. Because if you wanted to fight John Jones that bad, you should have won your fight in Buffalo. Or, even if you didn't win your fight in Buffalo, maybe show up to fight in Buffalo. Your corner was puzzled the whole time. From you taking down Daniel Cormier, to not letting your hands go, to the game plan you tried to employ, to the tides being turned and you being, you being submitted or defeated or whatever the hell happened, to his retirement afterwards... To the point to where Henry Hoof got thrown under the bus because he thought he didn't know that Rumble was going to retire, and everybody's like, "Why wouldn't he stay in the ring with him?" He didn't know. He he had maybe he had a flight to catch, maybe he had a bus to catch. Who knows? I don't know what Henry Hoof is doing. I don't have any desire to see Anthony Rumble Johnson fight John Jones at this point. If he came back, looked motivated, and won a fight, sure, why not? Any uh, okay. If he fought at heavyweight, which he looks like he could do right about now, he looked a, a, a cool 250 on Saturday night. <laughs> sure, sure. That's rumble. Otherwise, yeah. you, don't be, you don't belong in front of Volkan Ozdemir. You don't belong in front of Jimmy Manoa. But I, to his credit, I think he admitted as much. He, he trained with Volkan Ozdemir for, for a long time. So what do you think yeah, about I'm, that? Ah, listen... I'm not here to defend Rumble. Love the guy to death. He's always been so good to me. So I got, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and defend him because you're absolutely correct. Even I didn't see what was happening because that night in Buffalo, we had, or that night, that week in Buffalo, uh, every time we had a conversation, I could see that the, the importance of, of him winning that fight and what it means to him. And he fooled me. He fooled everybody. Clearly, he fooled everyone. And he wants to get into the uh, you know medical marijuana trade perfectly cool but to come out and say you want to fight john jones now it's 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 tough to to accept that it's tough to say yeah you know what i'd like to see it I probably would like to see it right because john jones i don't think has as many options as people think but i'd like to see rumble versus versus john jones but like you said after what happened in buffalo you got to come back and fight at least once 
if not twice, to get that title shot. And you have to be you have your heart has to be into fighting. Clearly, it's not because anytime, especially with with the recent passing of Tim Haig, you know he was. Uh, well, I never got the story from Tim's family. I got it from Anthony Rumble Johnson. Look at this. This is the and then he posted it on social media. This is the reason why I left mixed martial arts. You know, this is the reason why I don't want to get punched in the head anymore. This is the trauma. Blah 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 blah. All that stuff there. That's all legit. Totally get it. Totally understand. So that means you're 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 not scared to fight. You're scared of the damage that you're going to take when you fight. Mm-hmm. So I get it. I understand it. So if you don't want to do it, because if you don't think John Jones is going to punch you in the head numerous times, he's going to punch you in the head numerous times. You know. I'll also give yes. John Jones credit. John Jones credit a lot of credit because he fooled me, jerk. Uh, because the impression that I got when I spoke to John uh, a few times was he's taking Daniel to the ground and he's going to submit his ass and he's going to prove to the world that he's got a submission game. Uh, you know, I don't buy that blue belt stuff that we saw on Embedded. Oh, and- give me a break with that shit. <laughs> Who was it? Who was it that called called them out on that? I think it was Michael Bisping tried to on the Fox Post show. But okay. Jones couldn't hear him right. <laughs> Bisping's like, "What's this blue belt trash you're they're talking? <laughs> like, come on now, get out of here." John Jones no, I... could step into like put on a gi for the first time in his life and tap out a lot of black belts. Like, he's that good. He's that naturally talented. It's not something you see a lot. I like this light heavyweight division right now, and I didn't a year ago, Joe. There are some people. There are some names that are emerging, some some promising things that are happening, like uh, Trevin Giles showing up. Uh, cool. Dominic Reyes. Kutilaba. That's another one. Khalil Roundtree has really improved. Jared Cannonier, uh down there now. He, he's a little older, but yeah. Uh, Devin Clark has been doing well lately. Uh, Tyson Pedro. Like, there are some... Uh, Anti-Gulab. Like, there are some emerging names, like... People forget Corey Anderson, 27 years old still. Light heavyweight is a lot like heavyweight in that like it has a longer shelf life, not as long as heavyweight, but a little bit longer. Uh, Volkan Ozdemir, who very well could also compete at heavyweight and has and done so successfully. Who do you think should be next for Jones? Because let me tell you, <laughs> I love wrestling fans i love my wrestling followers that's what the majority of them are i'm known far more as a wrestling guy than an mma guy but they have come out of the woodwork telling me how i don't know anything about the brock lesnar situation when your boy broke it down pretty damn well the first day brock lesnar ain't fighting this year he ain't fighting this year no ufc's not gonna waive it they're not gonna if the ufc waived his his situation they would get their asses sued so hard by so many fighters. And a lot of people are like, LOL, Chad Mendez. Yeah, LOL, the court doesn't give a damn if it's Chad Mendez or GSP. It doesn't matter. If if Chad Mendez takes them to court and say they kept me suspended for two years over Psoriasis cream but didn't uphold the suspension for Brock Lesnar in that situation, it's ridiculous. And uh, then I got these these. Errand boys on Twitter <laughs> saying, oh, well, they, they, they bypassed it one time for Lesnar. They bypassed it one time for Lesnar because he retired years before USADA was enacted. They could not contractually hold him to the USADA standard. He never signed a damn piece of paper saying, I agree to this. Just like if Chuck Liddell came out of retirement right now, he wouldn't have to wait that period. 
if Brendan Schaub, Uriah Faber, Misha Tate did, they got to go through that wait period. Anthony Rumble Johnson said that he is officially retired. Also said that UFC gave him a full release, Joe. Oh, wow. Okay. And that nobody's contacted him, which I believe is going to change now that people know about it. Interesting. But who do you see next for Jones? Well, I, can we? Can, is there really an argument to be made that it's not going to be Vulcan Ozemir? Right? Because Ozemir has done what he has to do. Six Not even six months ago. Was it six months? March. When did I have him in the booth? January? It was J- January or February is when we had him in the Titan booth, me and Kamara Usman. His that was first- the day he... His first uh, UFC fight was February. So February was when we got word that he was fighting OSP that day. The, the, the day that we got word was the day he, wasn't, he was on his way to the weigh-ins at Titan FC, 43 if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then we got, listen, don't say nothing, blah, blah, the whole embargo thing. Uh, Vulcan's not competing. And I was like, damn it, again? This is the second or third time he's not competing. What's going on here? Well, he sort of got signed to the UFC. He's fighting OSP. And I was like, oh, keep it shut. Don't say a word. He went from that in February. No one knew who he was. No one knew who he was to beating OSP. Oh. Misha Serkinov with a poop. I, I knew there. him as the guy who got submitted with a neck crank on Bellator. I was like, damn. Yep. yep. Saying damn. in general, no one knew who he yeah, was. Yeah, nobody knew who and he was. Look, in, in this very short period of time, he's gone through three contenders. Jimmy Manoa, the last one being on Sunday. Uh, and that, in essence, or Saturday, that in essence was the fight. To determine who was going to fight John Jones or Daniel Cormier, provided there was going to be a trilogy fight. So, Vulcan Ozdemir, in my opinion, is the man. He deserves that title shot. Can can I mean, is there an argument to be made for somebody else? I love how he like points at his wrist after he knocks people out. The 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 time thing, uh, that little gimmick he's got going on. I'm a fan of that. He's a young dude. I I really like it. Now I want to tell you what WWE has done. And it's brilliant, Joe. So obviously, Brock Lesnar to UFC is the talk of the town right now, right? He's got a big match coming up at SummerSlam. He's defending his title in what we call the the Sirloin Beef Sons of Bitches Big Beef Challenge. Roman Reigns, former NFL player, 250-pound dude. Braun Strowman, who turns over ambulances and shit on WWE TV. Samoa Joe, who is if Mark Hunt was a, a pro wrestler. <laughs> Paul Heyman goes on TV and says, we know the WWE is trying to push him out now. So if he loses at SummerSlam, he's leaving the WWE. They're playing off of this brilliant wow. stuff. Brilliant stuff. Wow. They don't usually do that. You usually They ignored his UFC fight for a while leading up to it. So brilliant stuff from WWE. Um, Tyron Woodley. Hmm. Interesting. Here we go. He basically threatened to blackmail Dana White and, as he said, quote, leak some shit if Dana White didn't offer him an apology. Now, do I think that Dana White should have reacted in the manner that he did? Perhaps not. I think as as much of that fight is on Damian Maya as it is Tyron Woodley. But, I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen Tyron Woodley. It's not the third, fourth, or fifth time we've seen it either have a, a small output. I don't know if threatening to blackmail your boss, or any billionaire for that matter, is that hot of an idea. Since yesterday, uh, Dana White has told DMZ Sports that they have mended fences, but I thought that was a bad look for Tyron Woodley, considering a lot of people already consider him a crybaby. 
Okay, there's a bit to dissect there, Sean. Mm-hmm. Number one, um, for, first things first, I, I have, I, I'm not blaming Damian Maya for anything. I'll be honest with you. I'm not blaming Damian Maya for the way he performed in that fight because his game plan, his goal, his best avenue to victory was to get Tyron Woodley to the ground. And his strike, he could have striked more. Sure he could have. But his best, going toe-to-toe with Tyron Woodley was not the best way for Damian Maia to win that fight. The best way for Damian Maia to win that fight was get him to the ground and play backpack. Okay? believe I lost Joe. So we will work to get him back. But, um... Yeah, I, I thought that that was a bad look. Uh, yeah, we're, we're back. I got you back, Joe. I believe. Nope. He's staring off into space. Frozen Joe. Am I here? You got Frozen me? Frozen Joe, now I got you. Yeah, I don't okay. know what's going on here. Okay. Um, Torontonian internet. Could be. Could be. I'll be honest with you. My internet has been kind of shady past uh, since this morning. So hopefully yeah. I, I'll, I'll take full responsibility for it. Apologies uh, to all the listeners and, and, and viewers right now. Um, all I was trying to say regarding Damian Maya was I don't, I don't really blame him. And at some point, and I get, and I've heard it before, uh, <laughs> the guy's ripping me on the live yeah. chat, you jerks. <laughs> um, the, the point I'm trying to, and I've heard it from George St. Pierre before, okay? Uh, I've heard it, um, well, George is a little different because George was, would show more action. People would rip George because he wasn't finishing guys like he was when he was more of a, a, an early champion or a contender. The bottom line is, is when you're a world champion. So I kind of, I don't really fault Tyron per se. Uh, the fact is they have to beat me. And there's that stupid old boxing adage, if you don't beat the champ, you don't get the belt. Whatever that stupid it's a adage is. wrestling thing too. I, ha- I think that's the, the dumbest. stupidest thing. I ever heard. Yeah. Fights are scored for a reason, dumbasses. Um, anyways, so Teron Woodley, in my opinion, as the champion, uh, and I, listen, I'm not going to fault Dana White for saying what he said because he did say that if the fans are booing you as you leave the octagon, they ain't going to pay to see you. They're, they lit up the damn arena like they were at a rock concert with their phones. I've not seen that before. There's a reason for that. Tyron Woodley is reinforcing that crybaby label that he was given yeah Tyron Woodley is a bad bad ass mother like he's a bad dude when he wants to be a killer he can be a killer but because he's the champion right now he's gone into such a different sort of game plan where it's so everything is at risk I'm not changing this championship. I'm not losing my championship. I'm not taking any risks. Well, it's fighting, man. You do have to take some risks because even if – I mean if you're so – if all you did was train backpack the whole training camp and all you did – and you had Dean Thomas come out and say, listen, we know exactly what Damien's going to do, blah, blah, blah. Take a couple risks, man. You got to get people to want to buy your pay-per-views. You want to make money in this sport? It's not just being a champion. We've we've talked about it on on numerous occasions. There's a lot of – pieces to that puzzle to get yourself some badass coin in your bank account so that when you're when this sport is over you're gone your window of opportunity for making that kind of money is done you've made enough money and Tyron Woodley is doing nothing for himself right now by the way he's competing I get it I get it it's risky versus Damian Maya because now if you if you get too risky and Damian takes you to the ground then it becomes a different situation now everything is dangerous for you I get it I get it but with with Tyron's speed in my opinion he could have really hurt Damian Maya anytime he wanted to. Yep. In my opinion, because he's got speed and he's got power. 
Go back and watch that Robbie Lawler fight, ladies and gentlemen. Go back and watch that Carlos Condit fight. When Tyron Woodley um, wants to win and wants to fight, he can do it. But as a champion, if he continues to do this, he's not going to get love. So when, da- when Dana White says, man, the fans are booing you out the building, they're going to pay to watch you fight, he's sort of right. And then he wants a public apology from Dana White saying he's going to leak some shit. Ill-advised. Ill-advised, in my opinion. It made him look bad. What made, Who looked even worse? Colby Covington. Did you see what he said about his teammate? He's like, I've got some dirt on him. Hashtag fake. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. if uh, this is a 7-1 UFC fighter trying to get noticed any way he can. And, hey, to be honest, had he not said that, we wouldn't be talking about him on the show right now. But also... A bad look. A way worse look than Tyron Woodley. Oh, by the way, one sec, Sean. Infinity007 brought up a good point. Uh, there, uh, Tyron did say that his shoulder went out in the first round. Interim title time! <laughs> Wonderboy versus Maya. The winner gets a rematch with Woodley. That is Woo! terrible. That is absolutely terrible. But it's, it's valid. It's it's Yeah, you got a point, right? Like It's as silly as it is. It, it, it could happen. It could because shoulder injuries are bad, man. I mean, you're talking to a guy who's got rotator cuff injuries. I, I got bursitis. Right? Hey, same. Hey. I got him in both shoulders from a car accident, man. Like, I would rather sprint than do this. Keep my hands up because of just the strain that it puts on my shoulders. Like, it, it can be really bad. And the fact that he it, he said that he he heard it pretty early, but as Infinity 007 says. Tyron said if they mention interim, he's going to lose his shit. I kind of want it to happen just <laughs> so he loses his shit because that might make him even more marketable. Like, did you watch the post-show presser and that guy who was trying to sell Dana White that, like, Woodley is their Mayweather? Like, oh, you don't think that this would make people want to see him lose even more? No, because all they got to do is play back the Nate Marquardt fight. It ain't that big of a, like, he was knocked out violently there. Yeah, that was bad at Strike Force. I remember that. You were there live for that, weren't you? No, I was. I, I okay. can't remember. I don't think so. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to my world. Chris Cyborg, that's another another one that's emerged. Now, she's trying to angle for a SummerSlam match with Becky Lynch, which... What is up her. with that? It's Becky Lynch dates Luke Sanders. She knows the drill. She dates a UFC fighter. She knows the score. She knows what's up. They probably talked about this. Cyborg's done a little pro wrestling training. She told me earlier this year that she wanted to do more. So that's a thing. Cyborg has a few options, but let's be honest. This is a celebrity championship, and I'm okay with that. I don't want them to pretend like they're creating some division for this. I'm okay with this being the Cyborg Celebrity Championship. But Kat Zingano is trying to angle for a title shot, and I'm like... Win a fight. You haven't won a fight in like three years, almost three years. Um, 33 months ago was when she won her last fight. I would like to see Holly Holm. I don't think Megan Anderson can compete with Cyborg. I really don't. I think Holm is the way to go, especially until Megan Anderson settles her visa issues, if she still has those. Unless that fight takes place in Australia. Yeah, but then what are you going to do? Have all of her fights, Megan Anderson's fights in no, Australia, no. she wins? Uh, you're bang on. I'm just saying that specific fight there. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, you got to get those visa issues done because for whatever reason, if Megan can pull off the, the stunning upset, oops, 
your champion, your world champion, is stuck in Australia. So, no, I got it. I get you. I, got, I know what you're saying. Holly Holm is the fight. Yeah. Holly Holm is definitely the fight. Uh, and I, I wonder if that would be – okay, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, Holly Holm has lost a bit of her luster when she competes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, her, her, her striking is almost telltale because of the, the Kia that she releases. <laughs> right? When she does that. Yeah. Right? So you know what's coming. And, and Cyborg is going to bring the best out of her. Cyborg is definitely going to just put the pressure on her. So I like seeing Holly Holm as a counterfighter as well. I like seeing Holly Holm as a, a an offensive fighter when she sets up her combinations. Don't know if she has the power to hurt Cyborg, but she's got the technique to do it. Yeah, I, right? I agree. Because Holly Holm – and it's something that I've been thinking about recently, Sean, and, and I, I don't want to make this personal all the time, but you and I do train. Um, and and I, I've been thinking a lot lately. I think my whole life I've been throwing 95% power, whether it's on the ground and pound bag, whether it's on the on the Muay Thai bag I have downstairs. I throw everything with power. And I remember um, Bazooka Joe Valtellini, former glory champion, he always said to me, he's like, don't throw power, man. Just technique and speed. Yep. Get it up there. Get it up there. And then I'm watching John Jones, and I listen to Sean Pearson, and I listen to a bunch of people say, and Faraz Zahabi's told me this numerous times, forget the power. Power when they're hurt. Mm-hmm. Power when they're hurt. When they're not hurt, it's speed. Get your kicks, you know, get your your leg kicks in there as fast as you can. Get your body kicks in there as fast as you can. Get out and get your, 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 your high kicks and or your speed as much as you can. Don't worry about the power. Just well, a lot of the time with Drop speed and down. technique comes power, comes natural power very often. We need to have Bazooka Joe on a, on a show sometime. I really like him. No, because uh, he's he's better looking than both of us. And then ah, just, well, like, speak for yourself, buddy. Um, <laughs> before we wrap up uh, UFC 214 by speaking to Sean Pearson, someone sort of connected to Cyborg, Gabby Garcia. They're buddies. They're headbutting each other on accident on Embedded before this, yeah. which is a, a little... A minor miracle that Cyborg was able to make it to the fight after that, but Gabby Garcia had a fight at Ryzen this weekend and had a very egregious eye poke. And it's her second no contest this month. Like it took her 16 seconds to get DQ'd against, or uh, to to have the fight pulled against Oksana Gagloeva or whatever. And she's appealing it, and then she called the woman a coward. And I'm just sitting here, I, I unleash another, huh? I'm like, is she the one that's like shooting steroids into her ass repeatedly to fight 50-year-old women? Like, is that is that what I'm seeing? Is that what a coward is? Is she the one fighting pro wrestlers? Is that what's going on? Like, I don't... Stupid. Ridiculous. I'm sorry, but you can't shoot, like... There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Usually there's like, benefit of that, she's doing steroids. She's doing steroids. Or at least, at the very least, did. Embarrassing. I didn't even know there was a Ryzen event this weekend. Exactly. Kyoji Horiguchi won. Um, Alec Bari won. That's really about all you gotta know. That's really all you gotta know. Uh, you spoke to our boy, Sean Pearson, about UFC uh, 214 as well. And he has us out dressed today, so I'm not even giving him an intro. Here's the video. We're joined by Sean Pearson right now. Sean, looking slick, my man. Joe, you know, like we say that all the time. It's like you saying, Sean, I believe you're right. I'm always right. I'm always looking slick. It is what it is. Um, that's why the people demand I'm back on your show all the time. 
You're right. You're right. There's a there's a big demand. They always want to hear what you have to say because we never know what you're going to say. But uh, UFC 214 has now come and gone. John Jones has regained the title that many believe uh, was always his. Uh, but Daniel Cormier, you know, did what he had to do. The fight was fantastic up until that shin kick landed. What do you make of that scrap? Um, I was really impressed with Cormier. Like I, you know, this sounds weird, but my heart was with Cormier. My my paycheck was with Jones. So I think we all had the same assessment of what was going to go on in that fight. But Cormier, I thought, was taking it to Jones a little bit. And I liked his strategy of keeping in his face and keeping him backing up all the time. The problem that I see with Cormier in this battle is cardio. Um, and this might come down to the fact that – how old is Cormier now? Is he 39, 38? He's up there. He's in mid to late 30s. Okay. Now, this is not a slight against him. Um, but my thing is you've got an athlete in his prime, John Jones, one of the greatest athletes the UFC has seen. I say one of them because there's been a lot of great athletes who's in his prime versus an athlete who's past his prime, but doing great things. Now that doesn't mean you can't win, but I did. It's a, when you're, when you're equal in all other areas, and I'm not saying they're equal, but the battle of attrition, right? So being that guy who's always pushing, always pushing, always pushing, you're, you're utilizing a lot of energy, especially if you weren't able to grapple with John. And there wasn't a ton of grappling in that case. He was actually doing very well in the standup and the counter punching and just basically keeping active. But keeping that active, I felt he was starting to slow down a little bit. And the one go-to fact that we all saw, I've seen the replay 30, 40 times now, that whole time he was being set up for that, I felt. John was constantly kicking low, constantly kicking low, 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 low. And Carme was doing that flinch with his hands. You know, the instinct to want to grab that leg or to defend the body kick. And all of a sudden it came up and it was a shin to the face. And John Jones, being the, the great man he is as far as fighting is concerned, didn't even rush it too much. He's like, okay, I got him. And then slow methodical. I thought that little foot sweep leg kick was, was great to throw him off balance. And then it was the, the, you know, that was the middle of the finish, not even the start of the finish, but um, it went from there. I, I thought it was a great fight. Cormier should hold his head high. Cause I thought he, he put up a diligent effort trying to win a fight, not just trying to last and lose a fight. He was, he was legitimately going out there to win that fight. Where does Daniel go from here? Does DC stay at light heavyweight? Should he move up to heavyweight? Because that division uh, is where he competed originally. And what do you make of John Jones uh, and this Brock Lesnar story? Well, let's go with two things. First of all, I think John Jones did the smartest thing of his career so far. Um, in his post-fight speech, basically saying that Daniel Carmi is a great man, a great champion. Um, that Conor McGregor does the same things after, you know, he'll talk trash, talk trash, talk trash, and then say, no, this is a great guy. You know, like, I think he won some fans over with that, whether it's truthful or not. I don't know or care, but I felt like that was a sign of class. Um, and I thought, you know, scripted or not, I thought he did very well with that. That was a smart move. I, you know, he gained some points with me. The Brock Lester, I think, I don't know where the interview took place, but John Jones had already said that he looks up to Conor McGregor and he's taken something right out of his playbook. And to me, it's, it's a smart play. And I think it's a winnable fight for him. I don't think Brock Lester is unbeatable by any means especially by someone as great as John Jones. And it's a big, it's a huge paycheck. So I think it's a, a great move, smart move on his part. And there's no one else in lightweight right now, light heavyweight that should be getting a title shot. I know we've got that guy who's rocked, you know, Misha and the last fight in under a minute, but he's still unworthy of a title shot at this point. It's just, he's the only one in the division of a, a, a you know, right now a very thin division. And DC, should he stay at light heavyweight or go up to a heavyweight? I don't think he's got to play at heavyweight. Like, again, people are big up there. Again, he's going to do what he feels right. But at the end of the day, he's got to start to 
to feel what's best for his career. Because to me, at 39, 38, this is where he's got to take the understanding. Is this is going six more fights or seven more fights in search of another title in his best interest? And I'm talking about, you know, as far as his physical health is concerned, his family's concerned. Because I don't think he's at a point where he's got many super fights that he can draw on. Although I really like him. He's not a Nick Diaz or a Conor McGregor. So if, if you were to tell me he was just going to pick super fights, I'm okay with him doing that. I just don't think he's the draw right now to do that. But I, I wouldn't want to see him go you know, another six fights or four fights at heavyweight just to try for another title. Again, if that's what he wants, that's what he wants. But I don't think it's in his best interest. Interesting to see Sean Pearson giving a shit about something. It's odd. It's odd. And be, I, it hit me afterwards. I'm like, oh, he's in a work environment. He's somewhere yeah. where he can't cuss. He can't swear. So the whole thing was this, though. Uh, I tried to get Sean yesterday at home, uh, but he was running around. He said he wasn't able to get home till 10. And by the time he got home, blah, 10 p.m., and blah, 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 he wasn't able to do the, the interview uh, yesterday. So we tried to do it this morning while he was at home, but he had to race downtown. And I got, you may have gotten a feel of what Toronto traffic can be like. Can be like. Uh, so I, it, it just wasn't prudent to do it this morning while he was at home so the only option we had was immediately after his meeting and then when i saw him on screen I'm like oh you look great blah, 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 blah. and at the end of the interview i'm like no no nothing wrong with that i'm like nah you were in a work environment we're never doing this again while you're <laughs> in a work environment i need you in your lair i need you in your cave i need the f-bombs the cursing because that's what the fans love and th- there's nothing better than when sean loses his mind right like yes i love it yes Plenty more to talk about today. Uh, Free agent Frank Mir says that he's negotiating with Bellator and ACB. Um, ACB. Because he does does color for them, right? Well, I don't think people from ACB like anything of color. Especially rainbows, black people. A deplorable organization is that. So I feel... Uh, if I were him, I, w- I would try to distance myself. Um, what does Frank Mir have left to offer? At this point, he doesn't have much because we've seen that you know it, it, it's it's the the sad state of being in the heavyweight division for so long. You know, you you're you're dealing with, and I, I always go back to you know Fightnomics, the great book uh, written by Reed Kuhn, and you know mass the amount of mass that heavyweights can can throw causes damage you know and there's frank at this point in his, his stage in his career in my opinion um if he doesn't get that fight down on the ground and even if he does the ground and pound from heavyweights is ugly frank right now in my opinion cannot take the shots that he used to be able to take perhaps when he was younger because once he gets rocked by a heavyweight it's done and he fights at heavyweight so uh if he's fighting a young buck even a no-name young buck it's a risky proposition for him you know, um, so in my opinion, I don't think there's much that Frank can offer uh, to mixed martial arts fans other than, you know, for himself. It just sounds to me like, you know, he's he's not in dire straits, but he needs money because why else would you be competing? You need the money. I want to see him versus Barnett in a submission grappling match. I'll take that tomorrow. I would. I, you know what? Yeah. You're right. That that would be something. And, and please, guys, jujitsu fans, grappling fans, don't take this the wrong way. Not that I don't love the sport because I've trained in it for so long. I just don't follow it as much. I know some of the big names, but you give me Josh Barnett versus Frank Mir on an Eddie Eddie Bravo Invitational or something, I will tune in. Metamorphs, yeah. yes, yeah, Stone Osborne, yeah, 
I will watch it. I will I watch, watch it. I watched about 35 minutes of the Eddie Bravo Invitational the other night, and I was like, I'm not going to know any of these girls. There was a girl who was a late replacement who actually called one of her fights. There you go. Yeah. Also, Jose Aldo says that he's open to fighting uh, Cub Swanson in a top contender match. I'd be okay with that. Now he wants to fight him because he doesn't have the title. Yeah. Yeah. I'll watch it. Why not? Their first fight ended abruptly, and Cub Swanson is much better now than he was then. I don't know if Jose Aldo is better now than he was then because he was still growing. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. But it's hard to say, and Frankie Edgar's probably getting that title shot. But the unfortunate thing is, like, what if Frankie Edgar wins that title and Jose Aldo wins a top contender match against Cub Swanson? We really going there again? I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting, interesting. I mean, how, how do you – where would you set the line on Jose Aldo versus Cub Swanson? Ooh. I'd probably put Aldo at, like, a minus – 175 maybe a minus that's fair. one yeah that's fair that's fair that's fair you could give yeah you're gonna give Aldo the edge but it's not like it was before minus 400 minus 500 I think those days are long gone for Jose Aldo versus Cub Swanson but uh both guys are getting older and as the fights get older it all depends I mean who knows what kind of see uh in his next fight when he does compete because now he doesn't have the belt again he's lost the title twice uh, once very quickly to Conor McGregor, uh, and the second time in a brutal fashion. Uh, although he did take it to to Max Holloway, Max Holloway's the shit right now. Like, holy smokes, is that kid amazing now? And the way he won that title is pretty sick. So, I wonder if it, we'll, we'll see a change in, in Aldo's game, or if it'll just still be the same. You yeah. know, it's worked for him for the majority of the time. We're going to continue doing this, or do we see a more aggressive uh, Jose Aldo, less counterfighter, more? Stalking. I would love to see a more aggressive Jose Aldo because the the Jose Aldo that hunts you down and chops you down with leg kicks, like those those one with ones with just ill intent. Like, well, even more ill intent. That, that's what I want to see. Also, Joe, something I forgot to mention from UFC two eleven or two fourteen, and this is a positive thing, a very positive thing in my opinion. Eleven fighters made over six figures on that show. Cheers, kids. Yes. Including Volkan Ozdemir. My boy. Three fights in. Here's the good one. Tanya Avenger made 100000 Yeah, we talked about that on Saturday. That that put a huge smile on my face. You know, it's maybe we, you know, it's maybe we're being cheesy, Sean, that, you know, 100000 seems like a lot to us because it's just that it's these fighters don't make that kind of money in MMA. But at the same time, now that we're seeing it, it's making me happier. Right, because yeah. that's game changing money. I know you got to pay your manager and trainers and, and taxes and stuff like that. That's game changing money. If you're smart with it, you, you you can be very very intelligent with it. You can make a lot of money off of it. So good for them. Good for Tanya. Good for the fighters that made six figures and hopefully it continues to happen for for all the fighters that compete in the UFC. Definitely. This weekend we have UFC Fight Night Mexico City. Joe, I don't know your schedule. There will be a post show of some sort at some time, but. Um, not a big card, but there are title implications on this show. Sergio Pettis, Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno, who only got his fight against Luis Smoka because he had already been eliminated from the Ultimate Fighter. And they were like, here he is, he's ready, good to go. Is less than a year later in place to 
possibly contend for a title. That we've we've never seen anything like that, Joe. Yeah, I like this fight. I really, really like this fight. Um, for for numerous reasons. Uh, Moreno's crazy, right? <laughs> Dude's and he's so lovable when you think about it. But Pettis. Has a lot, not a lot to prove here. He's got the opportunity uh, to really put a stamp on his own young career um, because there was a lot of hype when he first came into the UFC, Sean, and he didn't really live up to that hype. And now he's doing it systematically. He's doing it slowly. Um, and this could be it. This could be that title shot that we do want to see, right? I know Borg's next. I get it. It's happening in Edmonton in September. Totally understand it. But Pettis can make a claim for himself right now. And and so could Moreno with a win over Pettis. Now the, here's the situation that they're in. Malki Kawa said that Demetrius Johnson's going to fight Borg, likely break the record, and then they're going to reassess and see what type of big money fights they can get. Likely, you know, maybe a Dillashaw or something like that. I wonder if the winner of this really does get a title shot because of that. Do you think that maybe they get skipped if that happens? No. Or if 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 Mighty Mouse wins. I think no matter what coming out of this fight here, Dana White will likely say that the winner does get a title shot, mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, no matter what happens, because we, th- there's no prediction right now as to what's going to happen with Demetrius Johnson. Malky's being extremely smart, and Demetrius Johnson, for all he's worth, best, arguably best pound-for-pound fighter in this sport, he deserves money fights. Uh, it's going to hold up the division, which sucks, but you know, there's a guy that I know named Sean Rossak who likes to throw out interim titles. <laughs> Right, could happen. People are going to be out for an extended period of time. I think they're necessary. Yeah. Now, this this fight in particular, Pettis and Moreno are both twenty three years old. Joe, it's crazy. It's, it's so crazy. very likely we're it. going to see these guys fight three times. Yeah, yeah. They may fight seven times before all is said and done. <laughs> they're twenty three years old. I thought I really at one point thought that Kane and JDS were going to fight five times. I really did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody did. Everybody did. Let's and, not kid ourselves. Everybody did. Yeah, it was just the way I thought it was going to go down. Pettis likes to pick his opponents apart. He's like a faster version of his brother, but almost the same in the same light. He takes a lot of risks like his brother, and Moreno is really good at measuring those risks and making his opponents pay for them. So that's what I'm looking forward or looking at most in this fight is can Pettis control those risks and take them at the right time in this five-round fight? Because five rounds is a lot of rounds to give, in Mexico City. In Mexico City to give Moreno that little bit of wiggle room to just reach in and finish something off. So there, outside of that, there's not a lot of like tip-top level fights on this show, but there are some interesting ones. Randa Marcos, Alexa Grasso, probably shouldn't be the co-main event, but whatever. Marcos is inconsistent, but she's durable. Grasso looking to bounce back. Would not be surprised if this one goes the distance show. Now you're right. I, th- I think Alexa's going to win this fight, though. I know I should be my, – my, my Canadian bias always comes out when I'm talking about Canadian <laughs> fighters. I think Alexa wins this fight. Yeah, I do too. Um, and it won't be the end of the world for Randa or anything like that. The fight outside of the main event I'm looking most forward to, Alan Joban, Nico Price. Uh, Nico Price, first off, should not have, have had his win taken away from him for marijuana. That's stupid and ridiculous. But I get the feeling UFC likes him a lot despite that. He's 27 years old. He is a finisher at welterweight. Yep. And given what we see at the title at the top, they they would prefer having some some uh, finishers there. 
I like the matchup. They're throwing Nico in against a guy in his 10th UFC fight, a guy who used to finish fights but just hasn't over the past year. That's going to force, like, somebody's hand is going to be forced here, Joe. And Nico Price is a guy that I'm looking at, like, to become something in this welterweight division. Yeah, I, I love this fight. I love this fight. Despite what, what Joe Ban has gone through uh, the past fight or so, I still think he's a finisher. It's got to present himself. Remember, it's, it, sometimes it does get, unless your name is Volkan Ozdemir, it does get more difficult to finish off higher caliber talent. And Joe Ban has run into that train. So Nico Price now has to prove that he can finish guys above him in the rankings or above him, consider people that consider him, that consider Joe Ban better than him. And if Nico can pull this off, there's going to be a variety of eyebrows raised because the kid's got power. The kid's got talent. He's got skills. Uh, and like I said, pretty sure the UFC uh, really wants this kid to sort of move do up well. that ladder nicely. He want, they want him to do well. And a victory, especially a finish over Joe Ban, will look very, very nice uh, in Sean Shelby's eyes, perhaps also in Dana's eyes. I don't know how much Dana's paying attention to these fights nowadays if they're not high caliber, but... Uh, you know, it is what it is. I, I'm surprised. I'm not surprised, but no one is really talking about Rashad Evans versus Sam Elvey. And, and this could be the final time we see Rashad Evans compete. If he loses to Sam Elvey, it's done. Got to be done. Yeah. So there's this is a fight I wanted to talk talk about at length. Elvey uh, is, I, I don't want to call him average. I want to call him, he's well-rounded. In everything. There's nothing that you look at and you're like top five level in any type of discipline. But he's solid everywhere. He hits really hard, but he uses his counter right hook a lot instead of uh, instead of leading. He's, he's more of a counter puncher. If, you, like, if you're outside of the clinch range with him and you try to kick, he'll come across with that right hook a lot. But... Uh, Yep. Rashad doesn't do that. And that's like that's like uh, most of the ch- the challenge I've seen against Alvi is that. And and that's not something that that Evans does. Like he and he doesn't have to be that in in order to win this fight. Alvi's going to have to get aggressive if Rashad keeps his range to re- really any certain degree because that's been a thing with Rashad. He's had boring fights and kept range, but he's never unleashed the offense to do that. Like, Rashad Evans and Tyron Woodley are so similar that it's remarkable, and I don't want to make that comparison because people will be like, oh, are you saying that because of their skin color? No, they are very similar fighters. They both had, like, really good speed and incredible knockout power to complement wrestling, and it was almost like the Chuck Liddell type of thing where they use it to stay on their feet, but they don't have exciting fights. Like, I don't know why anybody would ever pay to see Rashad Evans fight after the way his fights usually go. Evans has trouble against Southpaws. He gets pulled into those boring matchups against them. And that's that's like, I, I think that Alvy's lead is going to be able, even though he doesn't like to use it a lot, will be able to kind of stifle Rashad Evans. And if Rashad Evans can't beat Sam Alvy, you got to call it a career. And that's no disrespect to Sam Alvy. No, not at all. The thing is, though, with Rashad Evans, he has basically showdown Joe syndrome. You think you can do it. You know you can do it. Your brain says you need to do this, but your body won't execute. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, I, I, I can do I, – I, I watch fights. I see fights. 
when I do get a chance to train, I know what I'm supposed to do. My body doesn't react to it. And I'm not even near a pro fighter. Yeah. I'm not even a pro athlete. I'm not even an elite athlete. Rashad Evans is or was. And at the same time, when you look at what Rashad, if you watch those fights, you think to yourself, um, especially that Dan Kelly fight, that was another example where you're just kind of like, you should really be using your speed and destroying this guy. And he didn't. I bet you he wanted to, but he couldn't. Because you can't tell me within 15 minutes he should have not completely and utterly at least had a spurt where he would dominate Dan Kelly. You yeah. know, and, and you know you can make the argument that Sam Kelly's a, or Sam Kelly, Sam Elvey's a faster fighter than Dan Kelly. Yeah, here's what I see happening. Like when I play this fight through in my head, I see Rashad trying to keep his distance because Alvey basically ties up that lead hand, and because of him keeping that distance and Rashad not being able to use the jab, I see him coming across with a straight and maybe overextending a little bit. When you overextend with that straight and you have a counter, right, the way that Sam Alvey does, that's that's a wide open gap. That is like opening the window and saying, come on in. Because you're extended like this, Alvey can have his head wherever he wants, he can have his left hand wherever he wants, he slips, he comes through with the right, and I think that's, I think those will add up, but... Well, Alvey's best strength here is that right hook, like you said, but that left uppercut, if Rashad Evans continues to extend, is is could be magical form for Rashad he needs to think about a lot of kicks in this fight a lot of kicks in this fight because what's Sam Elvey going to do take him down yeah and if Sam Elvey does take him down you think Rashad Evans is not going to be able to get back up late kicks man yeah right solid Uh, there are a couple guys on the chopping block I think Dustin Ortiz could be close he is not what they thought he was going to be he's a formidable competitor but he just he just doesn't win uh, Brionis, another one, but um, really, in, in my opinion, the the only other fight worth really talking about a lot is Alejandro Perez and Sukman Todd. Perez is an underrated name at 135. He's only lost like one of his last four fights, uh, seven if you count tough. But I don't like the matchup of putting him up against Andre, who's like four and three in his last seven fights and doesn't have a UFC win. Uh, yeah. Andre is a finisher, or at least was at the lower levels, but I think this is to kind of see if Perez can can deal with the heat that Andre's probably going to bring, knowing that if he goes 0-2 in the UFC, he's probably gone. You know what? I don't have a, a debate at all with that. It's it's Other than the fact, like you said, it's it's a strange matchup, but these matchups get made all the time. It's like, look, let's see what you got versus this guy or girl. Can you do it? If you can do it, now we'll get back into some real matchmaking at the time, right? At the same time, on the flip side of that coin, uh, Andre, you got it or you don't? Yes. Got to beat this kid. Got to beat him. You can't beat him. You, you, you should be in the UFC, right? And it's you know you, you mentioned the whole you, know, you don't want to be disrespectful to Sam Alvey. Uh, listen, in mixed martial arts, specifically in the UFC, there are levels to this game. There are levels to the point where when you look at the rankings. Um, you know, number one is number one for a reason. Number three is number three for a reason. Number five is number five for a reason. 
Uh, we don't always agree with where people are placed in the rankings, but they're there for a reason. Go to any UFC event, and I remember having this conversation with uh, my, my old executive producer at Sportsnet when he was like constantly in awe as the UFC events at the time would go on, fight after fight after fight. I kept saying, just pay attention, because as we get past these prelims, at the time there were Facebook prelims as well, as we get past these prelims, you're going to see a completely different level of fighter as we move along. It's the same thing with uh, with Andre Alejandro. They're at a certain level, okay, in the rankings at Bantamweight or in, in the long rankings at Bantamweight. One of them should be higher. One of them is lower. But we'll see where you actually are after Saturday night. I'll never forget the story when it was Dan Henderson versus um, Husmar Palharis, where, where, where you know my, my executive producer was like, damn, damn, Dan Henderson. I'm like, this is it. Yeah. You know, this is this is the UFC and how it works. Different layers, like an onion, different layers, different cores as you move up uh, on the fight card. Now, this is not a fight card that's a perfect example, but UFC 214 was an example. Well, not, not even that was a good example because it was so stacked. But in general, this is what MMA is all about. And this is not a fight, in my opinion, that belongs in the UFC. This is a grassroots MMA event or MMA fight. A lot of these fights are, but this is where we're at right now uh, with the UFC being, you know, the the Super Bowl, uh, and they're also, you know, the grassroots, and they've they've taken up so many layers in the mixed martial arts bubble that these are the fights that we're going to see. You know, it's funny you mentioned, you know, what am I doing Saturday night? But we're we're still going to do a podcast. Well, I'm watching this event Saturday night. The wife knows she ain't happy, but this is, this is my <laughs> you might job. not be either when all is said and done. Yeah, this is one of those. I don't, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I don't even think I have plans on Saturday night because I sent her the UFC calendar. She you has do it. now. Yeah, so we're watching this fight. And that's it. I want to go just to. Um, do you want to close this off before I go? Something uh, I think it was Stone Osborne mentioned something on the chat. Yeah, uh, actually, I wanted to mention before I forgot uh, a report from Flow Combat. Actually, an interview with Uriah Faber reveals he's still in the USADA testing pool. Really? That's very interesting. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. You're retired or you're not? Eight and a half months later. Uh, he said, I would never count it out coming back to the octagon because in all honesty, I feel like I'd, I don't feel like I miss a step. I'm in great shape. I train with these guys. I can go with current world champions and contenders right now. Uh, I feel great, especially with my ground game. I feel like it's gotten better just training once a day or once every two days. Your body recuperates. You feel strong. I can take a fight and I wouldn't be opposed to it. I've never been out of shape my whole life, and I'm having USADA testing me still. Because I've never done any PEDs, any drugs, so I still allow them to come and randomly test me because it doesn't bother me. So, uh, you know what? I, I kind of respect that. I, I respect that he's leaving his options open, and he's like, this isn't costing me anything. Why not? Weird. I'm going to check out his test history while we're on here and see if he's been tested this year. Weird. All right. Well, what I do want to talk about what Stone, Stone Osborne posted in the live chat. And by the way, everybody, thank you so much for posting on there. Sean and I do read them as we go along. Sean blocks people or puts them in timeout. I just kind of smile. Only, uh, only the, if they say something that's like vulgar, like not not even vulgar, like sexually or racial. Got based it. Got than it. I do. Uh, Stone Osborne asks, "What do you guys think of Dana saying quote nope end quote about the new weight classes?" I wanted that. That was my next topic. Was uh, the weight classes? Normally, I'd go. Well, I'm really disappointed. And the weight classes he's referring to are 165 and 175 in vein of 170. I can tell you, as a 185 pound man who uh, like used to grapple and like 
when I started, they didn't necessarily follow suit with MMA weight divisions, but a lot of them started. 165 and 175 sure would be nice. Because I was trying to get down to 149.9 and 145 and 155. And when I did, I never meddled there. I felt terrible. I meddled at welterweight, middleweight. Normal weight classes. I would love 165, 175. But here's the thing, Joe. How many times have we heard him say, no more weight divisions? We heard it after lightweight. We heard it. We heard no women's MMA in general. We heard no more women's divisions after bantamweight. We heard it after strawweight. We have heard him say this like four or five times. So whatever. My theory is simple. Number one, I think we should do it. I think MMA should do it. I think the UFC should do it. Uh, and at the same time, the point well, – you know what fans love? And they may never admit to it. You know what we love? You know what everybody in combat sports loves? They love champions. Mm-hmm. They love seeing title fights because a title fight is a fight that means something. Not an interim title fight. A title fight means something. It, it, it's it's oh this is for the welterweight championship oh this is for the super middleweight championship whatever I know people are saying oh we don't want to get into this whole boxing thing where there's so many weight divisions no 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 every ten pounds son every yeah. ten pounds every ten pounds is fair and fun to me the UFC will always in my opinion technically speaking uh, injuries preventing injuries whatever will always have a champion on a card yeah. even a fight night card will have a title fight on there because there's enough champions. To rotate them. So I absolutely like the fact that if we can get divisions every twen- every uh, 10 pounds, 125 all the way up to, to heavyweight, no problem because you would see some fighters that would move up or down and or be where they should be, especially with what California is spearheading right now uh, with the water-based tests where fighters are going to have to move around. Yeah. Anna Burrell was one example, right? Um, th- there's going to be situations where we're going to see fighters forced to move up and to be nice, it'd be nice for them to move up and not have such a massive gap of 15 pounds from lightweight to welterweight and then 15 pounds from welterweight to middleweight. There's a 30 pound difference with one division in the middle. I don't like it. I what like I don't want, I don't want uh, like super welterweight, junior welterweight. It, I think it negates one of the two divisions. Yeah. Just come up with a new name. Who gives a shit? Call it Cerrone weight or something. I don't give a damn. <laughs> yeah. uh, but boxing, you have weight classes 102, 105, 108, 112, 15, 18, 22, 26, 30, 35, That's 40. Crazy. Around there, it starts to get a little bit better. But still, you got 40, 47, 54, 60, 68, 75. Then after 75, you only have two. Cruiserweight. Yeah. <laughs> you cruiserweight and heavyweight. And I'm like, damn, man. Because. Yep. I'm technically, I'm not a big dude, and I would technically, right now, be in the third heaviest weight class, and I wouldn't make the weight. No, technically, I'd be in the second, because I'd have to make cruiserweight. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's I, weird. Listen. So, and, and they have enough fighters between welterweight, middleweight, and lightweight to make this division happen. Ole, Ole Samuel says, is there enough fighters to support this? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes, because that is the weight. Uh, lightweight and welterweight are where um, – how do I say this? It's, it's Reed Kuhn did it, said it very best, very very well in the book. Fightnomics, by the way. Um, 
that is where the natural man is found. The average of the natural man is found in between those two weight classes because those are the two weight classes, if you think about it, that are the most stacked. Mm -hmm. John Anik has has said it numerous times. You lose at 155 pounds, you're three years away from a title shot. Yes. Because it's so stacked. It's so – it's just so – there's so much depth there. Now, you add two divisions in there, okay, because you'll have 155, 170, but you'll have 165 and 175. There's guys that are going to move around. Believe me, they'll be stacked. And I would much rather see only 15 to 20 fighters per division in the UFC than 510 fighters on that roster, whatever that number is right now, because it means something. It means something when you're ranked number 15 because when you're outside at number 25 because there's so much depth in that division, not doing much. Okay, but you put it in a certain weight class, and, and there's only so many guys or girls in there. I'm in. I'm all in. I absolutely love it. I'd love to see it. I think it makes sense. I don't know why Dana's saying nope. Uh, don't be surprised if he says yes because Dana White is not stupid. Uh, well, I'm sure people will say he's <laughs> stupid, but Dana White, if he, if if all you gotta do with Dana White, Sean, is just present something to him and say, here's how we can make money. Yeah, and, and that's how it should I be. That's how it should okay. be. Hate to you break have, it to you. The UFC has 62 middleweights. They have over, I think they have, that I know of, 101 welterweights. They have, I think, 95 lightweights. So right there, you have a ton of guys. It's ridiculous. Like, you take 33% of welterweights and 33% of lightweights, and you have a 66-man division. At 165. If you take a few from middleweight, like, I mean, all you need is 30, 35 people for a division. That's it. You don't really need that many. More than people. enough. Yes. I mean, how many heavyweights? I even think that's high. Sh- yeah, I think that's is, high, Sean. What, 30 something? They, well, they got like 50, they got 50 heavyweights and 55 light heavyweights, I think. Like, they got. It, it varies because, like, one time they'll have, like, maybe 20 or 30, and then the next week they'll they'll have, like, 50. That's just how they are. I think you froze up on me again, Joe. You did. You did. You, you froze up on me again. <laughs> you got me now? Yeah, I got you now. But you know what? I'm ending this shit show. Fightfulpods.com. Head over to Fightful.com. Use our forums. We have live coverage. Over at Fightful.com, everything. Boxing, MMA, wrestling. Carlos Toro's boxing newsletter comes out on Thursdays. Uh, somebody says Google is crazy. It's saying Google, my friends. This is Toronto Internet. <laughs> Listen, here's here's what's going to happen. And by the way, I know if Jimmy Van's watching this, throw down, whatever. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to reset everything right now. I don't know what's going on. I am hardwired. This is not Wi-Fi, Jimmy Van. I am hardwired. I don't know. Uh, it's it, It's been going on all day, but it'll end right after this podcast. I apologize to everybody. Obviously, not my intention. So I'm going to close off my point there. Uh, I do think it's too many fighters. 30 fighters is still too much, in my opinion, because – and part of my investing analogy. Uh, there's a thing called the S&P 50 or the S&P 500 where you can invest in the top 50 or 500 companies uh, in the world or in the States or in Canada and blah, blah. And every so often, the bottom – 
companies get removed and are replaced by better companies. Sure. Uh, that that's what the rankings are for. Give me 15 guys per ro- 20 guys per roster. The top 15 get ranked if you like, or give me 15 uh, per weight division. The top 10 guys get ranked, uh, and if you're crap and you lose, you bring the next guy up. More than enough because that's enough for people to follow. You give me top 10 for every weight class, fans will begin to be able to follow it much more than 15, and then there's actually 30 or 40 guys um, per weight division. Done. I like it. I do like the top fifteen though. I like that, but because because it gives them more of an opportunity to put that little number next to their ranking name. Showdown Joe, get your shit together. Saturday <laughs> night, UFC Mexico City post show. Terrible. You guys Thanks are terrible. Infinity 007. Uh, I'll I'll not put you in timeout for that Infinity. How about that one? But we got exclusives all over the place at Fightful.com, wrestling, MMA, boxing. Head over there, use our forums. I love that boxing newsletter. Lots of cool stuff over there. Fightfulpods.com as well. I heard we got some more visual changes coming to Fightful.com, and I am stoked. But guys, check out my video blog over on Fightful.com's YouTube or Fightful.com. That trip was so much fun. Joe, it was awesome to meet you, man. We did, on the show... You get Joe breaking down eating strategies in our <laughs> eating contest. How about those Irish? They're taking over, aren't they? Nicola, she yeah, put it down. Yeah. She dominated. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. She beat a, a pretty big dude in terms of, of eating. Yeah, it was, it was pretty impressive. She had a little she, bit less to she eat. Did, but. Yeah. It was, it, there was a handicap put on it, but still incredibly proud of her. That was great. Um but yeah, we will be back. It sounds like Saturday night after UFC Mexico City. Hey guys, you better tune in because we're probably the only people who are going to do a post show after this thing. Absolutely, guys. Please later on this week and girls that are tuned in right now to the live chat or listening uh, on iTunes and Stitcher and whatnot. Uh, my video this week will be fan based. Unless something really stupid and crazy happens in the world of MMA, I want to be fan. I want it to be fan based. So whether you're on my uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, or on Facebook at Showdown Joe, uh, I will be sending off a tweet asking you to to throw me a question, a comment, or concern, uh, and maybe it'll be your social media handle that will show up on the Fightful MMA video. So uh, I'll be throwing it up there, like I said, unless something crazy happens. Uh, I want to interact with you guys. I want to answer your questions, uh, and we'll take it from there. But for myself, Sean, of course, uh, another article will be written tomorrow. Uh, I might talk about this weight class thing. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll, yes. we'll see where it goes. Um, yeah, that, that's probably going to be it. And, of course, the video uh, on Thursday, Friday, I will get my Fun Bets article for you people, which, by the way, if you actually pay attention to those Fun Bets articles – you might have some coin in your pocket yes. because I do it in a way where there's enough risk for you to lose more bets than you actually win. Uh, they don't always come in, but when they do, <laughs> you make your money back um, or you make more money. So I got that, and then, of course, we got our post show. So very excited. Indeed. I'm going to have a few features up this week, working on some more Squash City articles this week as well. Uh, lots of cool stuff at Fightful.com. Make sure you tune in. Post Raw, Post SmackDown, Post WWE, and UFC pay-per-views. And, of course, our two flagship shows at Fightful and FightfulPods.com. The Holy Smokes MMA podcast, Tuesdays, live at 3 p.m. And the list and your boy, Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. We're going to, me and J- James are going to talk about the trip to Toronto, among other things. And, of course, we'll be taking your questions. Guys, until next time. We are out.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.